Recovery Elevator, episode 131. You know, it was this little circle of misery loves company, and I just didn't want to be anyone's company anymore. Like, I was so tired of just tagging along with everyone else that was also just as miserable as I was. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for 35 months and 1.5 weeks. Speaking of this tracker, thank you very much if you emailed me letting me know that some of the seconds were actually ticking backward. That bug, I'm happy to inform you guys, has now been fixed. On today's podcast, we've got Perry. She's 24 years old, has been sober for 81 days at the time of the recording, and is from SLC, Utah. Now, I record these podcast episodes two to three to four to five weeks before they come out. I think this one comes out on the Monday after the retreat. So the retreat right now is a couple weeks away, and I want to let you guys know, if you're attending, I'm ecstatic. I cannot wait to meet you guys in person. We're finalizing the workshops. We're finalizing the itinerary, and there may be a LaCroix Easter egg hunt. I'm saying this now because it's going to be a surprise at the time. But this podcast comes out the Monday after the retreat. It's going to be awesome. And speaking of retreats, I have bumped the dates back for the Peru trip. This is going to be in fall September 2018. We're going to go to Cusco, Peru. We're going to go to the Sacred Valley. We're going to volunteer at orphanages. And then guess what? We're going to do the Machu Picchu Inca Trail that ends up in Machu Picchu. I've done this twice already, and I cannot wait to get back down there. If you want to get on the list to attend this retreat, email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com. It's not the cheapest trip you're going to take. I'm going to tell you that right now. But Machu Picchu, the Sacred Valley, Cusco, that area of this planet is a must-see. And put it on your bucket list, even if you don't go with us. Okay, let's get started. After we hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started now. As I've said before, one of the cool things about doing this podcast is I get a ton of resources emailed to me. This one was a talk by Tara Brack. And it's a Dharma talk on addiction. I listened to it and took notes, and I want to share these notes with you guys. Speaking of notes, thank you, Randy Ramsey, for doing a killer job on the show notes. And you can go to recoveryelevator.com, show notes, episode 131, and you can find a link to this free talk. It's like 52 minutes long, and listen to it for yourself. Sure, my notes are thorough, kind of, (laughs) but you're going to hear the whole talk, and you're going to find things that I left out. And to preface it a little bit, Tara's talk isn't specific to alcohol. However, addiction is addiction. doesn't matter what it is, a lot of it is applicable. And here's some notes that I took. With addiction, we feel a sense that we are out of control in life, and we feel that we should be able to control them. 
If you've ever been in a 12-step room, you're going to hear the word control is a big one. So we've heard about the Buddhist middle way, which is about not being extreme in either direction. But it's really hard when this uncomfortable feeling of loss of control is happening to us. Tara talks about the hungry ghosts of addiction. This is metaphorical, of course. These hungry ghosts have scrawny necks with huge bellies that can rarely be satisfied. And there's a sense that something is missing, a feeling of restlessness in life and a sense of craving. There's always something around the corner, the feeling that this moment does not contain enough happiness. She talks about the Zen poet who says, if you want to find the meaning, then stop chasing so many things. Hmm. I did a podcast episode on how recovery and addiction can be so confusing at times. And when I heard this, it reminded me of a movie with Ben Stiller. Gosh, I still forget the name of the title, but it's basically he's a Mickey Mouse superhero where his anger is his superpower. It's hilarious. It came out in like early 2000s. You got to see it. But there's a ton of lines that, uh, you know, for face value, you're like, wow, that's deep. But if you think about them, they make no sense. There are lines like, if you want to see like an eagle, you must first let the eagle see you. Oh, wow. What, what, what the hell does that mean? Or if you want to take a deep and honest look into your heart, then the heart must first take a deep and honest look into you. What the fuck does that mean? Tara mentions a cool thing when she says, how you live today is how you live the rest of your life. Beating ourselves up for eating too much ice cream last night or drinking last night. We're beating ourselves up today in this moment. She talks about neuroplasticity, how we can change in the very moment and move forward. We can say goodbye to a thought at any given moment if we choose to. That is the power of meditation. We can eliminate grasping. She mentions that meditation does not get rid of desire. She talks about when the basic needs of fruit flies are not fulfilled. How the hell they tested this and turned it into a Washington Post article, I have no idea. But it talks about when male fruit flies are rejected sex, then they resort to alcohol. Takeaway, we are rigged that when we don't have basic needs met, we reach out for a substitute. Hell, even fruit flies do this. She talks about how dangerous an if-only mind can be. If only I was 10 pounds lighter. If only I had backstage passes to a third eye blind concert. If only Ben didn't have to run in the pond and get his feet muddy on her morning walks. I'd be happy. There is something in us that believes that something will make us happier when we obtain it, or when it happens, or when it doesn't happen. But research shows that lottery winners within a short period of time, we're talking like six to seven weeks here, are no happier than they were before. Tara mentions a common thread with addictions or addicts is we feel like we are never enough. The hungry ghost gets hooked on overworking, rushing, and checking things off our to-do list. Some of these substitute gratifications are socially acceptable, like the ones I just mentioned. But there are unmet needs under the surface. And as long as we keep trying to feed the hungry ghost, then we never free ourselves from unmet needs. She talks about three points of pain in the hungry ghost loop. Number one, the fix is temporary and there is no real satisfaction. That means that our addiction is always looping. Yeah, I experienced that for 10-15 years. I agree with that, Tara. Next thing she mentions, the hungry ghost does not like itself. This self-aversion feeds the looping more than any other factor. She mentions a value bomb, in my opinion, at this moment in her talk. She says she has never seen anyone heal an addiction without addressing the self-shame, the self-aversion in a profound way. 
One common thread with addicts who are addicted to alcohol, and it's a drug and we are addicts, is that we're not very big fans of ourselves. We must find a way to love ourselves, not tomorrow, not a week from now, but today. And the third point of the pain in the hungry ghost loop is, in the moments during the hungry ghost looping, we miss out on a lot of life and we are never in the moment. We often say, we need to get this done before we can relax. And actually, I encourage you to check in with yourself right now, at this moment. As you're listening to this podcast, check in with yourself. What are your if-only thoughts at this very moment? What are some cues that trigger the hungry ghost loop in your life? Whether you've been sober for a day or a year, we all have cues that trigger negative behavior, negative habits in our life. Are you telling yourself that you should finish something else before finishing this podcast episode? Check in with yourself and see where you're at. She talks about the first step in stopping the hungry ghost loop is simply recognizing it. Last podcast episode, I mentioned the word notice. That word was underlined on my legal notebook. Simply noticing it, simply recognizing these feelings, these uncomfortable feelings is a big part of the battle. Tara talks about how recovery is about healing the spirit and healing the whole and the soul. We need a connection with others. Tara says that while she was doing her dissertation for a doctor, she learned two things. That meditation works and that for an addiction to fully heal, they need a community of support around them. Now we've heard that at this moment, 712 times on this podcast, that a community is essential to recovery and we cannot do this alone. And I got two more points here before we hear from Perry. In her group therapy, she found that when people are stuck, we hate ourselves for being stuck. We must first remove the layer of blame we have found for ourselves, that it's our fault that we are stuck. And next, what are we really wanting when we are wanting the fix, the drink, the smoke, the whatever, the sugar, the ice cream, it doesn't matter what it is. For me, I was searching for relief from the agitation, the stress, from the inability to relax, the uneasiness, and the wanting to belong. Again, simply noticing what we're wanting to fix is a huge part of this battle. And finally, she concludes with, there's a reason why changing our habits by ourselves doesn't work, aka we can't do this alone. There needs to be a belief, and this comes from surrounding ourselves with other like-minded individuals. These like-minded individuals, they don't all have to be in recovery, but you need to have a recovery team, a community. That is the most important component to getting sober and having sustainable, long-term, happy sobriety. Earlier in the year, in Cafe RE, we did a five-week series on smart recovery. I feel like smart recovery covered a lot of these components. So if AA is not your bag or you've given it a try and you don't like it, try smart recovery. It's a more cognitive-based approach to addiction and covers a lot of things that I just read. Okay, let's hear from Perry. Perry, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Fantastic. Before we get any further, I'd like to say happy birthday, Perry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks for it. taking the time to do an interview on your birthday. I understand you're 24 today. I sure am. Sweet. What a great day today is going to be. Hey, Perry, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober since May 8th, so that's 81 days. Congratulations. Nice job. Thank you. Yeah, and before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe what you do for a living, you know, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? I'm a bartender. I live in Salt Lake City. 
for fun. I am a poet and I write often. I've been trying to paint my hike a lot. I do have a family. It's just me and my dad, really. He lives a little bit farther from me, though, so I don't get to see him as often as I like, but we spend plenty of time on the phone together, so that's kind of what I got going right now. There you go. And you mentioned you're a poet. Have you been writing more in sobriety? Oh, definitely. I feel like when I was drinking, I wasn't really writing at all, and I was kind of living the tragedy (laughs) instead of, like, writing about it. And now I'm taking time to really write about it. And I don't know, it's kind of therapy in its own light, you know, just like getting it all out and experiencing it and then letting it go, just leaving it on the paper instead of in your brain. Yeah, I love it. And talk to us a little bit about your drinking habits, Perry. How much did you used to drink? And did you ever put rules in the place? Like, you know, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I used to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like... I think by the end, I was at like a solid, probably like 20 to 30 shots of whiskey a day, and then probably about five to 10 beers a day, depending on the day. I tried the whole rule thing several times. I would try like only liquor. That was a thing for a while. And I would only get a beer just to chase my liquor with. Or I would try only vodka or only vodka martinis or only whiskey shots or only this brand of whiskey or, you know, only let's only do Coors Light tonight. And then that just as soon as I, you know, got three or four deep, all of that went out the window. So those rules were kind of meant to be broken, you know. Sure. And you're 24 right now today. Now, when did you first realize that perhaps you might have a problem with drinking? I've been drinking for about 10 years. I think, you know, as soon as I turned about 17, I think I really started to derail and drinking became a really big part of my life where before it kind of seemed like, I don't know, the stupid, like cool kid thing to do. And it was occasionally in high school. And then just like out of high school, it kind of became this daily consumption And then it got really bad once I started bartending. So I think I knew about 21 because on my 21st birthday, I got a job at a bar because I was so eager to get into the bar scene. (laughs) Great ideas we have. (laughs) Right. So I was so eager to get into the bar scene. And I think probably shortly after that, I really realized that I had a problem. Now, did you try to quit previously or was 81 days ago your first role at sobriety? I've definitely tried to quit a couple times. I've tried to do, like, the monitor thing a couple times where, you know, again, the rules. So I had one date that was, like, pretty significant. On April 17th of this year, I was like, I'm done. I'm quitting. I woke up and was just tired of it. Couldn't do it anymore. And then I relapsed. I got, like, three or four weeks or something. Relapsed on May 2nd. Had a bender from... May 2nd until May, like, 7th, mm-hmm. and then I started again on May 8th. Was there any reason you drank after three weeks that something happened? My animal died, and it just, like, I couldn't handle it. He was kind of my baby, mm-hmm. and... Sorry to hear that. It was, like, this tragic thing. He was hit by a car, and it was, it was bad, and he was so young, and he was unexpected, and I, before, I was kind of doing the dry drunk thing where I wasn't drinking, but I wasn't changing anything in my life to like continue that choice so I mean it was going to happen inevitably 
I think the point of this time around is to, you know, actually change everything so I don't relapse again. Ah, uh, that's a big, that's a big value bomb right there, Perry. Actually change <laughs> everything. And, and talk to us about yeah. some of the things that you've had to change. A big thing for me is friendships. I like bitch about this on Cafe RE all the time. <laughs> but I, everyone, almost everyone I associated with was also drinking like I was. I was also like an alcoholic or an addict. And I literally had to cut everyone by like three people out of my life. And a lot of people, I mean, coworkers, everyone. Like I, on the day I got sober, I went to my phone and just deleted everyone's number, got rid of all their contact information, drug dealers, people that, there's like people that will sell alcohol after last call, basically. And it's kind of like this taxi that comes to your house and you buy liquor from. Wow. So it's like an after hours alcohol dealer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I had to get rid of those numbers and I just, I literally had to start fresh. It's like I knew no one in the city, honestly. And, and listeners, that's where I met Perry. It was in Cafe Ari, and I, I've I've seen your videos, Perry. They I appreciate them deeply because they are raw, they're honest, and you can tell in your videos how bad you want sobriety. And I did watch a video about your friends, and. It, it doesn't. It, it wasn't like you woke up when you're gonna want to get sober and just okay. I know I need to delete these contacts. You kind of had to come to that realization and and tell us about a time yeah. that it, that it was difficult that you you realized you needed to separate yourself from these toxic relationships. Well, it just you know it got to a point where the first time I tried being sober, I just all these people got very defensive with me because I think the fact that me looking at my own habits then force them to kind of look at their habits because the way I was drinking, they were drinking alongside me. And there's this weird little culture, especially in bartending, where it's kind of acceptable to be an alcoholic because we're all alcoholics and so nobody changes. And then once you kind of leave that group, I don't know, I kind of just felt shunned. And I had all these different levels of like, I don't know. I went through this roller coaster of emotions. I was at first, I was really sad. Like I, I was crying all the time. Literally lost all my friends and some of my closest friends that I, or you know, some of my best friends. I literally had to cut out of my life and I couldn't talk to anymore because they were so toxic. And for so long, you know, it was this little circle of misery loves company, and I just didn't want to be anyone's company anymore. Like I was so tired of just tagging along with everyone else that was also just as miserable as I was. Now, I've mentioned and this so on just, the podcast is that alcohol gives you one of the best filters you can ever ask for. That's the friend the friend filter. And right. you know, are you at that moment now where like, yeah, this is a good thing? Are you still kind of, you know, like, eh, I'm not really sure if this is too good of a thing? You know, right now, like, I feel like I've kind of, like, cleared the initial damage. And I feel really good right now. Like, all these people, they're at a distance. Most of them are, you know, I have a lot of coworkers that I, I used to be friends that I still have to see. So I'm very civil with these people. I just don't allow them to damage my life anymore. And I don't know. It feels good. Like, my friendships that I have now feel a lot different. They feel genuine and very authentic. It's not based off of, like, a bad habit that we share together, you know? It's about based off of, like, genuine interest in each other. Yeah, which key, makes a huge difference. 
Yeah, keyword genuine, authentic interest you guys have together, and you don't need a, a chemical called alcohol to stand each other's company. Yeah, it was hard for me for a while. Then I quickly realized, wow, I'd rather realize this right now that these are not my true friends than way down the road. So for me, it was a blessing, and I think you'll realize that soon, if not already. And Perry, you did, in my opinion, the unthinkable when you got sober. You didn't only quit alcohol, you also quit smoking. Tell us a little bit more about that. And soda. Oh, and soda. <laughs> All on the same day. Holy and buckets. soda. I know, right? All three on the same day. Not diet soda, um, right? Occasionally I'll have diet soda, but in the <laughs> okay. last 81 days, yeah. I've had diet soda twice. Nice but job, I don't feel girl. that bad about that. But my favorite hangover cure used to be going to, like, any fast food restaurant and getting a large Coke. That was my favorite. And swallowing, like, five aspirin and a large Coke was what got me through the day through most of my hangover. So when I kind of quit drinking soda, because that was really the only time I ever had soda was for a hangover. Hmm. But now I don't do that anymore. Yeah, it was. It was kind of a choice that was made for me. I have a lot of health problems. About 90, 80 days ago, I went into the hospital with a mass of blood clots, and it was kind of basically like I had treated my body terribly for a really long time, and my body just couldn't do it anymore. So it was either quit smoking and quit drinking, or I was going to have a stroke or pulmonary embolism. I mean, death was just, like, knocking on my door. Like, it was days away if I wouldn't have changed. And, and so, you, so you yielded those results from the doctors, and you made a choice. And a lot of people, yeah. they can make that choice for a week, two weeks, three weeks. You know, the fear of that can get you sober for a temporary amount of time. But you're moving forward. And I, I see your post in Cafe RE, and, and I think, I mean, you're rocking it. I mean, it, but I want to keep this podcast real and authentic. It's not yeah. easy. Am I right? No, it's not fucking easy. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. And I have some days where I wake up and I kick ass and I just take the day. And then there's some days I can't get out of bed. And it just kind of depends on the damn day. Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I'm trying to embrace that and realize that not every moment of my life is going to be happy just because I got sober. There's this amazing thing that happens to me now. I started crying. <laughs> I, used <to laughs> <Emotions>. on, <laughs> I used to pride myself on not crying and that I was tough and like I wasn't going to ever show emotion or like weakness. And it's crazy now that I don't drink. I cry all the time. It's weird. I feel like the full circle of emotions versus just being numb constantly you know and there's so, a word you, know, you mentioned crying. embrace where you yeah. embrace these emotions you embrace that you might have a bad day in sobriety you're okay with it you lean into it no matter how far we run run away from these uncomfortable emotions it's important that we lean into it and how has that been for you it's been good it's really hard oftentimes i'm pretty hard on myself so when i have a bad day i don't know it almost makes me like mad at myself. I'm like, why do I have a bad day? I'm doing all these great things. I shouldn't be mad at myself. I need to get out of bed. And it's hard. It's really hard. Most of the time, I mean, I didn't have to deal with emotions before. They just, and now I feel like I'm dealing with them tenfold because for so long they were just put on the back burner and now they're all in the light. And like, 
damn, like I ignored all of these things going through my head for the last at least five years of my life. So it's hard. Coping, learning how to cope with life is interesting. It's tough. And I've read this in Cafe Area and I agree 100% with it is, is we have impaired coping mechanisms. We have shit coping mechanisms and I can only speak for myself. Yeah. But yeah. I ran away from a lot of uncomfortable emotions for a long time. And that's something I want to face these emotions. And if you, you know, if you could choose, would you rather face and feel the emotions or just not feel them and have them be suppressed? Honest question. You know, I feel like I want to face and, you know, deal with these, these emotions. Because if I didn't want to, quite honestly, I could have let myself die 80 days ago. Like I chose to live. I chose to like be alive and experience it. So I should probably do that. I sh even if it's not everything I want it to be, that's what living is. It's about experiencing the, the whole range of emotions, whether I'm happy or sad or whether it's a good day or whether it's a shit day. I mean, I chose to be alive, so I should probably embrace being alive. And let's talk about that. What's on your bucket list in sobriety, Perry? What do you want to accomplish? I don't know. I just, Right now, I've got little goals. I don't know. Right now, I mean, some days it's one day at a time. Some days I wake up. On my shit days, it's one day at a time. Some days I wake up and I'm looking at the moon, you know. So right now, I'm saving for a truck. I want to spend more time in the mountains and hiking. That's really my higher power and where I go for guidance. So... I feel I'm kind of trapped in the city currently. So getting out there is a really big deal for me. So I feel like that's probably pretty eminent in my trip in sobriety. I need to do that for myself. So that's a current goal. I would like to travel more. I have fitness goals. I mean, I have goals to get off my blood thinners. I don't want to do that anymore. Like being on blood thinners, like I'm walking outside right now and I'm panting. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me. But I can't breathe just walking, and it's very frustrating. And so I'm trying to just – my biggest goal is probably just healing my body and getting to a point where I could probably get off my blood thinners for the rest of my life, and that would be very cool for me. It would be a huge moment. And we spoke a little bit before we hit the record button, and we talked about hope and goals yeah. and aspirations, <laughs> and they are fantastic to have. However, it can kind yeah. of be a trap and a pitfall, and I've fallen in this trap mm -hmm. and pitfall many times. Is, <laughs> you know, I hope tomorrow will be better. I hope that I achieve this goal and that goal, and I will be happy when this happens and right. that happens. But in sobriety, in, in any time of our life, we need to find a way to be happy today and almost give hope, yeah. give up the hope that tomorrow will be a better day because cause I've done that for a long time, and I'm never thinking about today. If you're always thinking about tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be better. You're just not going to be happy today. And, you know, tell us, have you found ways to be happy in the moment today? Yeah, I do certain things for myself on a daily basis that genuinely make me really happy. And they're just little things. I, like, lay there in bed for a minute. I take a minute for myself. I try to be in my headspace. It's pretty hard for me to do that. I feel like my brain's all over the place. But I do genuinely try to not touch my phone. And just think about, you know, choices I've made and this life and the good things I am doing for myself. And then I get up and I usually try to stretch or take a walk around my neighborhood. And 
honestly, probably the best part of my morning is I go around the corner to this cute little coffee shop and I grab a cup of coffee. And it's it's so small, but it really makes my morning for me these days. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. I understand a lot this, of walking. I understand this coffee shop had a coffee waiting for you this morning. They did. <laughs> I walked in and because I, I mean I go there every morning. And sometimes I go there twice a day, and it's just this cute little local coffee shop, and they have the sweetest employees there. And I walked in because they knew I walk in every morning about the same time. And I walked in, and they had a coffee waiting for me for my birthday, and it was pretty cute. It made me smile. I kind of, like, teared up a little bit, too, because it made me, like, really happy. kind of felt silly, but it was cute. And Perry, in 81 days, have you had cravings? No. Well, I don't know. That's it's hard to say. Like I've had I've had moments where I've been stressed and I thought like cigarettes cigarettes have always been harder for me than drinking. Cigarettes are it's like this weird stress relief for me. Drinking was always like a social thing for me. I didn't really ever use it to relieve stress as far as I know. Like I feel like it was kind of just a way to get out of my headspace where smoking like you know everyone has shit days and sometimes it's really hard to cope which is why I smoked and drank for so long but it's more cigarette cravings than drinking like I don't ever think I don't ever want a beer like that doesn't appeal to me I don't don't ever think about vodka martinis anymore or whiskey shots or it's more the cigarettes that I miss most well, so what do you do when you have a craving? Because you're feeding addiction, whether it's alcohol or the cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, what do you do when you have a craving? I eat a lot of ice cream. <laughs> what kind of ice cream? Uh, okay, so it either has to be pistachio, but it has to be the Ben and Jerry's pistachio because they have the best. I found this brand. I don't know what it's called, but it's like a peanut butter ice cream, and that's kind of rocking my world right now. I've never <laughs> had peanut butter ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and raspberry. Those are probably my favorites. Nice. Hey, it's better than a cigarette, and it's better than a drink. And yeah, yeah just whatever it takes sometimes. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a lot uh, of sugar. I still eat a lot of ice cream. Who am I kidding? But, Perry. I love ice cream. It's delicious. <laughs> And Perry, what are some lessons you've learned about yourself in the last 81 days? It was interesting. Before, I had my, my one of my closest friends, her name's Sarah, and, you know, she's very supportive. Her and her boyfriend, Stockton, they're like my two rocks right now. You know, it's interesting because we were hanging out the other day, and she didn't really realize, we were talking about my drinking, and she didn't really realize how much of an issue actually was. She just assumed it wasn't because she said that I used to walk around with like this crazy confidence and that, you know, she wouldn't assume that I had any problems whatsoever. And it's so interesting because I, I do think I used to walk around. I, I did. I walked around like that all the time. Like I've got this, like I'm okay. I, I can drink this much every day and still function as a person. And I had this weird confidence that was such bullshit it was so fake and I had no confidence in reality I was struggling always I hated myself a lot and now I feel like when I walk around she like commented like it's a totally different kind of confidence like this weird thing where I'm like learning about myself 
and I'm trying to love myself over here, and they're completely different, and I think you can tell the difference. So it's nice to feel actually confident in my life and taking control versus just walking around with this weird, fake confidence, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And Perry, I've been hard on myself for 35 years, still a work in progress. You mentioned you're trying to love yourself. How are you doing that? You know, I try really hard not to be hard on myself. I mean, I just set crazy standards for myself. And whether it was when I was drinking or now that I'm sober, like I'm struggling with finding happiness in like the little things. I'm trying to focus on that. I'm trying to focus on you know, giving myself a break. And for so long, you know, especially like right in the beginning of my sobriety, I was like getting up every morning and working out like crazy and doing like just bending myself for the day and not really taking any time to like reflect on my emotions and kind of just like going, 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 going. And so it was almost like ignoring the fact that I had a drinking problem because I was just making myself so busy where now I feel, you know, I'm feeling more and I'm experiencing more emotions, but I feel like that's kind of the true way to get over or to, you know, help with my alcoholism is that I have to figure out, you know, how did I get here versus just ignoring, because in the beginning I was just ignoring it, Mm -hmm. but now I'm trying to like break it down and actually cope with my problems versus just going hiking every damn day, you know? Absolutely. We spoke uh, previously about this a little bit. I'm listening to this uh, Disc on Meditation, an audiobook by Pema Chodron, and there's some mind-blowing stuff in there. And one of them is, you know, I talked earlier about our coping skills, is I personally, I always went left or right when I experienced discomfort, either with a drink or with some other way to mitigate the uncomfortable feelings. But two nights ago, I just went in the center And I went to this park by my house and I sat while the sun was setting and I just sat with those emotions and it was very uncomfortable, but it felt good afterward. I didn't run. And, you know, right now with two and a half years of sobriety, almost three years, I'm not turning to alcohol and I also quit smoking. So I'm not smoking cigarettes, but I'd I'd find, you know, ice cream, donuts. I'd just get up, put on my running shoes and start running to suppress these feelings. But I didn't go right. I didn't go left. I just went in the middle. And it sounds like you've been in the middle a lot with these emotions, right? Yeah, I have. I've been trying to really sit with them. If I keep ignoring them or just trying to mask them with doing all these great things for myself, it's not really great in the end, right? I mean, it's awesome that I'm, you know, trying to change my life over here, but changing my life also means dealing with this. Totally. We've all heard drinking is but a symptom. My body was physically addicted to the drug called alcohol. But after, you know, when I quit, eventually my body didn't need alcohol. And now I'm trying to address, uh, you know, the, the symptoms of this. And it's a work in progress. But you have to find a way to love yourself and have self-compassion today. And here's some advice for myself, Paul, and, and maybe you too, Perry, and everybody who's listening is lower the bar for yourself and stop kicking your own ass because yeah. life will do a pretty good job of that. <laughs> and alcohol and drugs yeah. also will do a fantastic <laughs> job of that. And so how... How is it today? I mean, how are you today on day 81? It's your birthday. How is your day going to go? You know, I feel really great. Like, I got up this morning. I'm doing an interview right now. That's some accountability, right? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to work today. And after work, I'm meeting up with my friends. And 
I'm gonna have some dinner, and that's how my day is looking. Maybe we'll do some like sparklers or leftover fireworks, but I think that's what I'm doing today. Today's weird. I've I legitimately have not experienced a sober birthday in 10 years so this is weird it's different i feel good i mean it'll be nice to actually remember my birthday this year so well, your sober birthday is, is going to be i hope it's fantastic but i can guarantee you this you're going to feel a lot better after the day after your sober birthday in the morning yeah, <laughs> yeah. no kidding now you mentioned you you got sober for three weeks in april but you were kind of you know a dry drunk how is it different now walk us through a day in the life of the recovery of perry well, I've been trying the meditation thing, like I told you. I spend a lot of time researching alcoholism and its effects on my body. I like having that knowledge because it's just one more reason to not drink. I go to therapy. I am pretty active in Cafe RE. Every time I feel almost anything, I'm pretty sure I make a video about it and post it. <laughs> I read a lot of the things that people write in there. Occasionally, I'll go to AA. It's not something that's, like, super strong in my recovery by any means. I just do it sometimes, like, in case I need, like, that little extra boost. Mm -hmm. I go on a lot of walks. I listen to a lot of music, a lot of podcasts. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Perfect. And, Perry, we have reached the rapid-fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? So ready. So ready. I love it. And Perry, what was your worst memory from drinking? I don't know. That's There's a lot of those. There was this one time where I was hanging out with this group of people that was fairly shady, and they very clearly didn't care about me, but they had alcohol, and I wanted that. So I fell. It was in the middle of winter. I fell, and these people left me, and it was... January and I woke up in the morning on a curb with like a big gash in my head from falling. That was that was not okay. That wow. was a pretty bad memory. Yeah, I'm glad you woke up from that. That's that sucks. Yeah, yeah. And Perry, next question. One. We've all heard the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that perhaps you couldn't control your drinking? The last job I had. I actually got fired from because I was showing up drunk all the time and I was taking like shots in the bathroom and I basically got caught by my manager and got fired. So that was kind of a no shit moment. Yeah, uh, yeah that was not, not a, a fun one. one. <laughs> and Perry, yeah. what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? You know, I'm just going to like keep digging in. I'm going to keep crying every damn day. Um, I'm going to keep reading and writing and, you know, I feel like it'll all figure itself out. I'm just going in with blind faith and I'm doing all these amazing things for myself. And I'm just hoping that it works out in the long run. I don't really have a plan and I don't really know what I'm doing over here. I'm just one day at a timing it right now and trying to do the best I can and being involved in the community and, if I have feelings or emotions, telling someone about them, that's really key for me right now. For a long time, I held in anything I felt because I didn't feel like my feelings were valid or any. I didn't want to burden anyone. And these days, the second I feel something, I just like spit it out. It's just like out in the world. I don't like cooping anything up anymore. And that's huge for me right now. Well, you knocked that question out of the park. You hit a lot of 
big value bombs in there. And the Thank big you. one for me is, is like, I don't know what I'm doing. That's totally fine. I'm almost to three years of sobriety and there's moments where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And my plan is constantly evolving and changing, which is totally fine. And next question, what's your favorite resource in recovery, Perry? Probably, honestly, Cafe RE. I listen to the podcast and they're in your great fall. But I need <laughs> someone to like talk with. <laughs> so it's best in like the Facebook group that I can, you know, converse with people and actually like talk something out and describe how I'm feeling and people will back that or they'll tell me what they think. So it's nice to have that communication, that open communication. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast and I appreciate your genuine posts in Cafe Ari. I personally enjoy reading them a lot and they've been beneficial to me to realize sometimes that, yeah, I'm not the only one going through this as well. And next question, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received, Perry? Nothing worthwhile is ever easy, you know? To get the good things in life, you got to, like, walk through the shit. You got to, like, get through the bad side to get to the good, right? Like, I don't know, that's something my grandma has always told me. And, you know, I don't know if she was necessarily talking about sobriety, but that's always stuck with me. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. True that. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are in early sobriety? The biggest thing that I've learned that I could probably pass on is anything in your life that's a toxic influence, anything, just get rid of it. It's not conducive to your sobriety. My sobriety personally is my number one thing on my priority list. All my, you know, my relationship with my dad and friends and, you know, all of that will go out the window if my sobriety doesn't come first. So I feel like it's hard and I get it. It's really hard, but anything toxic in your life, just throw it out. It's got to go. I agree fully with that. And before we depart, Perry, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. I should have prepped for that. (laughs) I got Uh, one for you. You might be an alcoholic if you've been uh, fired from a job because you were caught doing shots in the bathroom before work. That could be one. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. You might be an alcoholic if, you know, you wake up on the sidewalk. That's one that's happened to me several times. Yeah, that's that's Um, tough. Yeah, that qualifies big time. (laughs) That's probably mine. Love it. Well, Perry, thank you so much for joining us today on your birthday. Have a fantastic day. Thank you, Perry. Thank you. This shit is everywhere. I get emails from people saying, you don't know what it's like to quit drinking in Topeka, Kansas or Bangador, Maine. I really hope those cities are in those states. But the point is, this shit is everywhere. I'm training for a 23-mile ridge run, which why the hell did I do that? I'm not a trail runner. But like I mentioned this podcast, I was smoking in May and in June, and I decided, okay, I'm going to sign up for this Ridge Run, which is a lottery, by the way. You don't even get it. I think it's like one out of five, one out of ten people get it. So I got it. And uh, the point was to get my ass in gear, and I guess something worked because June 24th had my last cigarette. Addiction sucks, by the way. It was no fun to quit at all. But I've been training my rear end off for this Ridge Run, which is on August 12th. And on my way back from a long hike, I hear a motorcycle approaching. I grab Ben, my trusty companion, Standard Poodle, and we step aside on the trail. This guy on the motorcycle, he stops. He cuts the engine. Now, this bike was sweet. It had awesome neon colors. 
It had a number on the side of it, like he just finished a race. The guy was probably on his way to go help building a house for the poor. The guy was awesome. I wanted that motorcycle. I was walking. I was barely covering any ground. This guy had an awesome motorbike. Anyways, yes, there was a man crush. Yeah, so the point is, we're up in the middle of nowhere. No snack bar, no restaurants, no clubhouse to be seen. And he pulls out a beer in his backpack. He's like, hey, I always carry a couple beers for hikers that I pass on the way. You want one? I just had to laugh. I said, no, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. He's like, all right, jabroni, take care. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. As he sped away and I floundered forward, I just had to laugh. (laughs) This shit, it's everywhere. And that's totally fine. I didn't even have to think about my response. Sure, I was parched. A cold beer it did sound pretty freaking good. But I didn't even have to think about my response, which was awesome. Because that is exhausting. Anyways, I just thought I'd share that with you guys. If you feel that alcohol is everywhere, that everyone wants to offer you a drink, you're not alone. And there's no geographical cure that will change that. Believe me, I've searched high and low for that. So recovery elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. Oh, 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 o